0: you're listening to chatterbox brought to you by cleveland containers hi gavin thanks for coming to our chatterbox podcast um ceo of store owner of store stuff in northern Ireland. we got that right yes you have yeah yeah good um yeah, thanks for coming. We met first at the CSTA, I think. That's right, that yeah. was a couple years ago, yeah. ago in London. Two summers um, ago. Yeah. yeah, and I was listening. I was listening to you, and at first people were talking. It's like what they're talking about stuff. So, but the more you went on, I was like, oh, this is that sounds pretty good. And I think yeah, we reached out after that, and we started speaking from there. So how's Star going at the moment? Star stuff. Good. Yeah. Yeah. All
1: good. Thanks. Um, actually, that that CSTA event, uh, I'm glad I actually made some sense because the night before, I'd gone out for like a late, I, my flight had been delayed by six hours that day. I went out for a late dinner with a colleague and uh, got sucked into like a 2 a.m. finish. So I, I wasn't entirely sure it made any sense that day. So. But no, all's going well. Um, Stora has, we've had a really good year or two with Stora. About 120 customers now all around the world. About 100 of those are in the UK. So probably about another 10 or 15 around Europe. And then we've started to make a bit of progress in the US. You know, the US is a huge market with about 60,000 operators yeah. versus 2 or 3,000 in the UK. So... Uh, that's the market we're interested in, but we're not really kind of going for it yet. Um, there, we're mostly focused on the UK. We've got tons of containers, op- container operators now on board, especially, you know, through Cleveland and the Box Plus program, which has been great. Interestingly, you know, two years ago, most of our customers were small startups. Now, we, you know, we've we've got to the point we we recently brought on board a seven site operator containers with a couple of thousand customers. Uh, really starting to move to the larger parts of the industry, which is where we, you know, we want to go over the long term. So that's great.
0: No, it sounds really good. Do you know what your split is in the UK between indoor and container at the moment? I don't know
1: exactly, but, but I could, I'll could. i guess it's probably about 50-50. All right. It might be a little bit more even containers, maybe 60-40 potentially.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. We, we've seen a big split recently. Where we've seen a few more of the indoor stores move into outdoor, trying to put in the, putting containers in car parks and just optimising all that space to unlock storage for small businesses. You know, people who want to drive up in a van and stuff, who don't want to look at really carry things inside, upstairs, etc. So I think yeah. container storage seems to be expanding in, in the UK uh, massively. Yeah,
1: I think that's probably the reason we have so many is because if you're an indoor container operator, we might speak to them a year before they open because, you know, things take a lot, a lot longer often to get up and running. So that's why probably there's more of a lag with those sort of customers. Whereas if you're getting into container storage, it can be a lot quicker. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we'll talk to somebody and they're, they're opening in two weeks time. Yeah, So you know, they're a customer very quickly. You know, if I go back to whenever I was decided to get into self-storage, the reason I liked self-storage, I found out about it really, was my uncle. Well, he had a hardware shop in my town, just on the outskirts of the town. And he decided, well, he had a few containers, he thought, I'll rent these out. Mm-hmm. So he had two or three or four containers. I don't think he even knew it was self-storage. And then he just ended up getting more and more. And uh, like he had 50 or so a few years ago. And he used to say to me, Gavin, this is such a nice business. People turn up here, think they'll be here for a month. And three years later, they're still paying me 140 quid a month, and I don't do anything. It's, it's great. So, you know, the, the container business and the indoor business, and um, it's, it's some really interesting parts of both as a business. So, if, yeah. if you're an op- if you want to get into self storage, they're both very attractive. Mm-hmm. Uh, containers are attractive because you can you've got a bit of land, you can open up, you can just buy five containers and yeah. try it out. You know, you don't All have right. to invest hundreds of thousands or millions up front. Mm-hmm. Whereas indoor storage, um, you normally have to invest quite a lot more. That can be attractive too because if you're prepared to do that, it's probably harder for other people to do it. So if you open up a container park, one of the challenges is that other people can also do the same Yeah, because it's easy for them to get into it as well. And that, that hasn't, I don't think that's really a problem in the UK yet because there's so much unmet demand for self-storage. Mm-hmm. But with indoor storage, you know, it does take a lot more money generally. Yeah, It's harder for people to compete.
0: Yeah. So you, you've been there, you've, you've kind of done it with your with your self-storage site and obviously been in the, in the industry a long time and stuff. So I think it'd be good to talk through a, everything that goes into starting a self-storage business and just pick your brains a bit and give us some of your your input and stuff. So I think, I think where people normally start is, 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 the, is the budget, what's going to be needed to sort of get up and running, what's important to invest in at the start, what could maybe wait, um, just from a budget point of view.
1: Well, so I'll maybe just talk about my own experience briefly. Mm -hmm. So about, it was four years ago whenever I opened up my first site and probably four and a half years ago when I was really starting to get on with it. So I had to look at my budget and at the time my my budget was about Mm -hmm. £100,000. I looked at containers and and stuff and uh, ultimately decided to do an indoor storage facility. So I kept my budget low by taking out a lease rather than buying a a warehouse. But stuff then that I think would apply no matter what sort of self-storage you're getting into... If it's a container site or an indoor site, don't go and build 100, 200, 500 units up front. Well, you could, if you really want to, if you want to get on with it, it will be cheaper in the long run to do a lot of that stuff in in one big go. But if you are budget constrained, then just do do a bit, you know, buy five containers, buy one container, Mm -hmm. buy 20, you know, start small. Yeah. If you're doing indoor, I did 49 units in my first phase Mm -hmm. and I was really scared. Like, you know, I was like, will anyone actually move in here? And, you know, I thought this might might take me five years to fill these units. It didn't, thankfully. Mm -hmm. It was all about sort of minimizing the upfront risk. So anything that you can do to minimize upfront risk. So lower your initial number of units to kind of lower the outlay, you know, prove the model. Whenever I was opening, I didn't want to go and spend tons and tons of money on building a really professional website. I I, I just wanted something that was functional initially, you know, because all of that can come later when you've proven there's a business. Yeah. Um, you can, you've proven that you can actually build it so that the business works. So I would find a way to minimise any upfront costs around those sort of things, um, which is ultimately why I built Store. Mm-hmm. You know, Store exists to help operators do that and have everything in one go. But even if you're not using Store, you know, find a way to minimise those sort of upfront costs. You know, you you could go and spend ten grand at a branding agency to go and build logos and all that sort of stuff. You know, if you're talking about a self-storage facility with ten containers, like that would be a, a massive waste of money and time. So you know, don't don't do those sort of things. You know, it applies to any business. You know, if you're starting a new business, test, test, test as much as you can before you invest a lot. Um, other things, I suppose, I did spend a, quite a bit on signage up front. So yeah, I, yeah. I spent, I think, four or five grand on my signage at the front of my facility. But I thought that was like, I mean, that's not even that much, really. But mm-hmm. I, I just thought I need to have big signs because I had a really good road frontage. And I thought I'm gonna, I want to give myself the best chance of proving this business works. So I want to be seen. So I did that. Yeah, I just I just would apply that to anything. Um, I suppose there's, there's lots of stuff around opening a container site I haven't personally done before. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know. guess like, you can. There's lots of groundwork you can do and things like that. So that's mm-hmm. not an area I know a whole lot about. But finding ways to minimise that stuff, I think is
0: is important. Yeah, uh, what you said there is what we tell people or I tell people if they if they're looking to start up, you don't have to start with hundred boxes. Yeah. You could start with just ten boxes. You know, get a get a nice row lined up. Get someone in to do a bit of photography. You know, you get build get some of that the basic stuff done Mm. that makes you look bigger than you are because if you just position a camera (laughs) and it's just right you'll make like you've got a massive row of containers but really you've got 10 containers and then like you say the the signage as well yeah just make yourself visible from the roadside. it's just just self-storage these days everyone needs it like people are moving into the into smaller new builds and without a garage there's no loft lined out but people don't want to throw anything away so they need some some self-storage i think like what you said about the brand and stuff like it's, it's incredible how basic self-storage branding can be. It's mm-hmm. just, it's normally just the name of the where you are with self-storage at the end and just yeah. an icon kind of a container. And that's all it used to be. Like, mm-hmm. It's not about building a, a powerhouse brand and stuff. It's more about the, the a local convenient, easy service. Yeah. And I think you're onto a winner there. Are there any tools out there that um, people can access to gauge what they need to invest in self-storage?
1: Well, only you should ask that, Lewis. <laughs> uh, we have a really simple tool on our website, oh, yeah, yeah. Astora, um, and it's, its I think there's a little slider where you can kind of say how much money you've got mm-hmm. and then what, you know, what the returns might be if you go for a container site versus an indoor site. I've built a couple of financial models using spreadsheets. If you want to get into that, they're free to download as well on there. There's a lot of assumptions in those. I mean, you have to make assumptions with a model. It's probably worth getting the model, playing around with the real numbers it's a relatively straightforward business too, you know, so yeah. it's, it's not that hard to build a model of your own, if you know, if you want to yeah, model things I, out I, I agree. and you know, yeah. what's the cost of a container? I'm sure it changes all the time, but if a container is, let's say 2,400 pounds yeah. and you are going to rent it out for a hundred pounds a month, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't take a, a mathematician to know that's a two year payback. If yeah. you can get it filled, you just factor in the land, other fixed costs, other variable costs. The thing I always am most interested in when I'm talking to anybody is like, how do they plan to run the business? Like what's the operating model for the business? Mm-hmm. Cause that's a, the key component, I think, to what the how the financial model will work and ultimately how well the business will do. So, for example, if you have if you have space for fifty containers, and you're thinking I need to go and employ somebody to sit on this site full time from nine a.m. to five p.m. Monday to Saturday, so actually that's going to be one and a half to two people because you know it's six days mm-hmm. and I want the customers to come in. And you know, meet meet with us and sit down and have a coffee. And I'm going to show them around. And I've got 50 containers, like 50 containers. Let's say that business could turn over, let's just say seven grand a month. If it's you know, at had a high occupancy, yeah. seven grand a month. Like if you think about the model, the operating model, like can you afford to pay those people to sit there? And I don't know, spend three thousand of that seven thousand pounds a month paying for people to sit on site. So one of the key questions often for me is like, how do you? W- what size can this business be? What size do you want it to be? And what's your plan for how to run it operationally? Because if you've got 500 containers, mm-hmm. of course, it maybe is worth having somebody on site because, you know, let's say the cost of them is 40000 or £50,000 a year. Will having that, that person on site, will you make more than £50,000 a year of sales as a result? Like, will you make an extra hundred grand? Mm-hmm. I think ultimately that's the, always the question for me is uh, because you can run a self-storage business, f- sorry, a self-storage facility without staff at the facility all the time, even if it's just yourself, you do have to keep an eye on it. Yeah. Somebody probably has to answer the phone. You have to chase anybody that hasn't paid. You have to evict some people at the odd time. So it's not that the business itself is ma- is manless, but your facilities can certainly be uh, operated remotely. Yeah, so I-, I always like to dig into that, the plan there, because um, you know there's, there's no point in opening up 50 containers and having a uh, you know, plan to employ somebody. like My uncle's 50 yeah. containers, he was running the, the hardware shop anyway. If you have a farm or if you have a farm shop and you want to open containers, maybe you're there anyway. So maybe it's fine to do it. And that, that is, that's a good way to do it. Yeah, it makes um, sense. But there's always, that, that's always a, a really interesting thing I think to dig into.
0: What what we're talking to people now is, and you, you touched on it there, is, is is planning for the growth at the very start. Mm-hmm. And thinking about where you're going to be in X amount of years right from the start. So part of Box Plus is where we, we can design some on site. It's a, it's, say you've got an acre and I can get this many containers down. Right, but if you do a site survey, you can find out where all your services are and stuff, so you don't put containers down on services and stuff. And then it allows you also to uh, double stack containers on the bottom floor. Yeah, And then we can, you, the top of units now are getting really popular. It's basically a 20-foot container with the uh, a, 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 the middle bit cut out, and then you make two like sort of eight-foot stores oh, either side right. Right, on okay. top. So you walk through the middle of the the container. So there's the walkway on top of the container. Yeah. So okay, so you you plan for that and then you show, I'm going to start with X amount on the bottom row, but then I can go on top and stuff. Mm. So we're trying to encourage people to think more three, five years down the line, what what it could be rather than just your first 10 containers. So it's all about how you set up your site to start with.
1: And most of your customers, do they buy the land or own the land? Or do, do you ever come across people who are renting? Land for container business as much or? I would say most of the
0: people own the land. Yeah. I can't recall any people who who lease the land or rent the land and stuff. We've seen a a bit of a shift recently of people who are in the property market, because of recent uh, increases in material costs, labour costs, it's maybe not been viable to develop that land for a building. So they thought, actually, let's just... Brought
1: some self storage down. Mm. It's another way if you want to get into self storage. One way to really like if you if you've maybe got a budget of I don't know thirty thousand pounds or twenty thousand pounds, and you know so then you're thinking okay containers only. If you don't own land, renting land is potentially an option. So it's it's just a way to get in with even less money. And I did yeah, consider that early on. Leases, I mean, so it's yeah, and then so I was talking to somebody about oh uh, so what would happen if you if you did lease land, mm-hmm. and after three years you get kicked out. Yeah. And I've always assumed that would be a nightmare scenario because you have to go and move all the containers. But I was chatting to somebody and I can't remember who it was now who had done that. And he was saying, oh, we, yeah, we rented land. We had to move everybody. And actually it was completely fine. Maybe cost like 10 grand, you know, moving, like it took a few days. We moved all the containers and actually it was no problem. Nobody, nobody moved out. So anyway, I I just, that was something I thought was fascinating because that, that lowers the barrier to entry even more for some people. Uh, You know, if, if, if you're, if you've got, if you've 30, 40, 50,000 pounds of cash you want to invest and you want to dip your feet in self storage, that is another way to potentially do it.
0: Yeah. If you go into container stores, you don't have to buy the containers. Well, we we, we hire you. them to we hire them to a lot of self stores and mm. you know they, they, they could hire a 20 foot offers now for what, for 14, 15 pounds a week and then hire it out at 30. You pay the delivery and collection up front. So the yeah. container's just on your land or wherever it is. Mm. You're, you're just renting it out to someone, taking that bit of margin, then you can. The, the container could be taken away as soon as it's empty by us and stuff. So again, that's just even lower risk is just renting yeah. the containers offers and sticking them on. So there's just so many different options out there just, just to get into it and stuff. So yeah. So another key thing you've touched on it again is, is when you mentioned like throwing up some science and stuff and it's, it's about the location. It's you, you want to be in a good lo- location. You want the footfall, you want the traffic driving by. Is there, have you found anything or spoke to anyone, anything out there to help you basically pick that perfect location um, or is there anything out there you think to help me gauge demand in areas or mm-hmm. is there anything you've come across?
1: There is actually a tool online, uh, just a free tool that you can, uh, I think it's a global thing and presumably they use census data mm-hmm. and you can put in a postcode or a town or anything, anywhere in the world and you can like you can increase the radius. It kind of gives you an idea of how many people live in that radius. So there's something that could potentially be useful. Yeah. The thing about that is though, if you live in London, you might be a mile away from somewhere, it actually might take you half an hour to get there. So um you, you, probably what you want is, you know, what's the population within a five, ten minute drive? Uh, what's the best location? I don't know, Um next to McDonald's maybe somewhere, in a, you know, in the city centre next door. Mm-hmm. Um But you're going to pay an awful lot for that. So if you have a great location, you're going to have more demand, which means uh you'll probably get more bookings, which means you can probably have a higher price great but it, it doesn't mean you have a good business you know, it's, it's, so you can't just pay whatever you want for the best site you have to balance it my first site is a pretty good like I mean it's it's a decent location it's on a business center opposite of a petrol station so I have a massive sign on the wall so a lot of people would see the sign um, but it's not it's not ideal my second location is actually two miles outside of town in a rural setting that place has taken longer to fill mm-hmm. but then the population is also smaller in that town and it's filled slower, filled more slowly, but at the same time, it got a good price and, you know, the business is, is profitable and doing okay. You know, so it's, it's all, uh, it's hard to tell sometimes, you know, yeah. what to go for.
0: Have you ever done any benchmarking on any of your competitors? Look at sort of cold call on them, see what their occupancy rate is at the moment. If you think about getting into it, maybe just do a Google search of who's nearby, give them a call and just pretend you're looking at the setup. Or is there, is there a waiting list? well, if the majority of the sites have got a weight in this, there must be high demand in the area. Or if the yeah. majority of the sites are, are, are half empty and stuff, probably demand is probably catered for.
1: So you're absolutely right. Uh, before I opened up either of my sites, I I did exactly that. So I called around all the local, I, I made a list of all the businesses nearby that did storage. I called them all to see uh, how busy they were. I think all of them were full. Uh, or, you know, maybe there's one had a place in a week or two I could move into. Um, and yeah, like I think that was, a, that's a really important step. I wouldn't open anywhere without doing that <laughs> to see how full feel that, You know, if, if you ring up a bunch of places and they've all got, they're, they're empty, mm-hmm. uh, don't don't start a new place. <laughs> yeah. Population radius and, you know, a competitive search about how yeah. people are doing. I think those yeah. are the two, at least the two things you should definitely do.
0: Yeah, Your store stuff all, is all, both sites are indoor. Yes. What would you say uh, are the benefits and um, drawbacks on that and stuff? And have you maybe thought of going into container storage with, to be uh, increasing?
1: Yeah, well, my first site, I have no outdoor space, so I, I don't have the option of containers. The second site, we have got outdoor space, so our plan is there, once we get that filled up, or you know, get kind of closer to sort of full occupancy, then we were going to start to put some containers outside because there have been plenty of store customers who have indoor and then containers. If, yeah. you've a, if you've got a big car park, why not put down 80 containers? I mean, we were actually looking for store stuff. We were looking at buying a couple of uh, big sites in Northern Ireland. This was a year and a half ago. And they came with huge car parks. We were, you know, we were thinking, okay, container yard out here. Why would you not do that?
0: So you, you would say it was, it's it's not a, it's not it's relatively easily easy then for you to you you're indoor, but you think about going outdoor it, if you've got the land. Oh, that's no it's brainer car, It's just it's no, there's nothing hard about it. Is it? It's just putting some canes down and just it, add it to the, add it to the site as an option to, to book.
1: Yeah, exactly. Then you might have to think a little bit differently about access. Uh, you know, if customers are accessing your indoor facility. Uh, and you know, in my case, I've got the Noki lock, so you know they're accessing it and letting themselves in. Whereas, if I put containers outside, I'll have to think through a bit more. how do they get access because they get access the gates. They'll open up the gates with the Noki app, mm-hmm. but the containers won't have Noki on them, so I'd need to think that through. But that's I mean that's been solved. I think one of the the, the pros of indoor are I think over you can charge more per square foot. So like my I'm charged with twenty to twenty to three pounds a square foot in my facilities. Whereas there's an in, there's a container place nearby and they charge ten pounds a square foot. If if you're if you're running an indoor facility, adding containers in, buying them or leasing them or whatever it is, like why would you not if you have you space? Absolutely, hundred oh, yeah. percent.
0: That's what we're seeing. We're seeing a few of do that. We had um, SafeStar. Save Star, um, oh, yeah. took took their first few containers off, us. Uh-huh. it? was a bit of a tight delivery down the back of their one of their sites <laughs> and stuff, but they've put a row of containers down. I think it, I think speaking to Stephen, it was to it towards that the small business people in, yeah. in the van want to drive up and on the morning. Get some stock out, or put some yeah. away and stuff. Get to get the tools out because people don't want to store tools and vans anymore because of leaves and stuff. But they just stick them in a container overnight and drive up to it and get on the next morning. So stuff, stuff's been going four years, four, four years, four years. What are some of the challenges you faced with, with getting people into to your site, or and then what are some of the wins you've had?
1: COVID just seemed to, with all the furlough money, whatever it was, just and people it was not being able to go on holidays. And maybe renovating their houses. Just demand for self-storage. I mean, we see this across the whole yeah. UK industry, yeah, yeah, yeah. just went through the roof. So I heard about uh, divorce rates going up because everyone was stuck in the house together. Yeah. And I, th- and I thought, well, I've heard divorce rates are a good driver of self-storage. So I ordered my second phase because I thought, well, divorce rates are going to go up here as well. <laughs> yeah. I was able to kind of get the thing filled. So that, was, that, that helped, uh, this kind of one-off demand shock Helped, uh, helped me and probably helped others. The main challenge, to be honest, I faced with that business was, there was a phase when I was trying to grow that that, that business quite quickly and finding sites. That was the biggest challenge. I mean, if I was able to find uh, investors and people who are prepared to back what, what I was trying to do. But even with investors on board, it's just like, okay, let's go and find sites. Trying to find warehouses that we could buy or even you know lease, trying to find other sites. It was just so uh, expensive. Uh, so that was the, that was probably the biggest challenge, and now you know now that the, the the demand shock has come down, I had a lot of move outs earlier this year, like, like sort of probably three or four months of just constant move outs, and I think that was a lot of the maybe the COVID move ins kind of disappearing. Like another challenge I had at the start was, um, you know, last sorry, April two thousand nineteen, and I was was making the decision to get into self storage, and I wanted to have a website, <laughs> I wanted to be able to take online bookings and payments. Uh, and I wanted, I didn't want to be chasing people's payments. So you know, I, I, one day I, I Googled Shopify for self storage, you know, cause Shopify does this for, if you want to sell yeah. glasses or anything online, you can, you can have a Shopify site set up within an hour. So I Googled that thinking, oh, <clears throat> I'll find something like this. And by the end of today I'll have a website and everything, but there was nothing like that for self storage. So that was a challenge I had. And that, that's ultimately why I built Stora because I wanted any, anybody wanting to get into self storage should be able to instantly have a website instantly have online bookings and payments, have something that automates all the invoicing and billing and have a system to manage the, the business. So I built that, and but that was a challenge because it didn't exist four and a half years ago. So I had to go and build a lot of that stuff myself. So that was a you know significant challenge, although luckily I had a lot of friends who <clears throat> um, were able to help out and owe me a couple of favours. So I was able to get it done without yeah. too much expenditure. It's a, it's
0: a- you started store stuff without store. What were, you, were you, How were you managing it before? Then? Was it just spreadsheets and manual, manual?
1: Or? So I started store stuff. I opened in September. What I'd done then was I. Uh, so I I can't write code or do any of this stuff. So yeah. a friend built a website, and uh, it's not a million miles away from the store website and how it looks today, where people, my customers, could come and click, show me prices. They could see the prices, and then if they clicked on it, I used a service called Chargebee, which is a recurring billing solution. That would come up and then the customer would put in their card details. And then in the background, that would then set up the recurring billing and payments. So I built my own website. I used Chargebee. I used Stripe for the payments. So I wasn't using spreadsheets. Uh, but then them story might be shifted all across the store. Yeah. We speak to container operators all the time. And lots of them are running their business with spreadsheets or yeah. whiteboards. Yeah. Or uh, I was, I'm chatting, to, meeting with one, going over to see one in a couple of days. And he has just little cards that he uses. And um, they've like 300 three hundred uh, containers in, uh, in in one big site. So it's all just some cards and notes and, you know, oh, this person maybe owes 50 pounds, whatever it might be. But we, we've taken on board lots of those customers. So we've, we've helped them transition from that kind of way of running. A lot of the time what we'll come across is, you know, somebody's kind of almost by accident gone from five containers or whatever it is to 500 yeah, because it's just going so well and it's just become so hard to manage. And maybe they're thinking about opening up a new site or maybe they're thinking about trying to kind of, retire a little bit, whatever it is. A lot of time, it's we want to expand and we need to sort this system out here. Yeah. And we'll then help them transition from what they've been doing on to Stora. Yeah. So yeah, we come across that a lot. There's lots of people doing that. L- luckily, I avoided that because I wouldn't be able to manage spreadsheets with 150 customers. I would, I would lose my mind.
0: <laughs> no, so you, you you kind of built Stora. It, it, was, it wasn't called Stora. I don't even know what Stora does. Yeah. So then I went away and just built something that is an all-in-one kind of thing. It just makes sense, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, I wrote an article about four about three or four years ago on LinkedIn, and it was read by lots of people. I basically wrote an article about all these, like basically all all the systems I sort of stuck together, with sellotape. I would is the way I <laughs> say said to make it all work. And I wrote an article about all the way all the stuff I'd used to do that. And it was it was off the back of that that I realised there was demand for something else. Like I I had just uh, recently sold some shares in another tech startup. So I was like, oh, I'll get out of tech. I'll just open up self storage sites. So that, that'll be. Uh, hopefully a bit easier, and then it got sucked back into tech <laughs> because it looked like there was demand for a product, uh, and that's what stores become. Yeah, yeah. So stores has happened by accident, really, to be honest. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, no, only the best things do, don't they? Yeah. But like, yeah, we we come across it, and it's amazing how many people just don't realise there's stuff out there that can, can manage the site for them. It, yeah. it, but but there is. Uh, but I don't know. Maybe it's just how people how people would think of what what would people search for when they were looking for something like Store. You wouldn't search. Store. If you didn't know, if you weren't in the, if you yeah. were in the industry, you'd search, I don't know, self-storage management software. Or would you Would you think, yeah. Would you you even think there was something out there? But-
1: I think a lot of people have kind of almost got into self-storage by accident. And yeah. they probably have another business running alongside it. Maybe they're farmers or they've got car dealerships and all sorts of stuff. And they've got space. So they've done containers oh, around the back. and
0: We get them all the time. There's, yeah. just, there's just so many who've Yeah, just fallen into it because they've got a bit of space. Or-
1: yeah. And, and probably a lot of them are just using, maybe they already have an existing system for, their other business, it's quite a straightforward business self-storage but it has its little uh, like complications, and it mostly comes down to billing and the fact that people, you know, maybe pay monthly or weekly, wherever it is, and then mm-hmm. they want to cancel, and there's there's a notice period, and maybe there's a refund to happen, and then it comes down to access. How do you let them access the place? You know, if it's limited by when your car garage is open, whatever it is, it's, yeah. it can be limiting to how many people can move in. So it does come a point where I think it, it gets bigger or mature enough where um, you know a dedicated system for self-storage makes much more sense.
0: And then you back to that thing where you said about if you've got an existing business and you've got existing staff managing it, but it grows and grows and grows and more of their time is dedicated to just managing a self-store site. So, like, you've got to look at what you're paying them to do that between what you're bringing in. Uh,
1: like There's a good example of that. Um, and so even people will come across, sometimes people, um, most people just say, oh yeah, let's say we're going to automate payments. So they, you know, it's like, okay, we will have to pay for that. So for example, if you're doing direct debits, let's say you're taking direct debits using our system. Yeah, I think the fee for a direct debit is 1% up to a maximum of £2. So maybe you're talking to a customer who's been running their business for 10 years and they've been do- doing direct debits direct to the bank and filling out a mandate, mm-hmm. writing it down posting it to the bank, whatever whatever way they do it. And that might cost 30p. So a lot of time be like, well, I don't want to pay £2. I'm, I'm really paying 30p, you know. And it just comes down to exactly what you've just said there where it's like, well, that, that's okay. If you want to keep filling out a paper form and getting cus- meeting customers, get them to sign it as well, 30p is what you'll pay. And keep, if that's what you want to do, keep doing it. If you want to get, save all of that time and the hassle mm-hmm. uh, and the management of it, then you pay a bit more, but you'll get that back 10 times because it's not just the fact that um, you won't need staff to do that anymore. It frees up your staff's time to go and do more important work like marketing or you know, go and find ways to sponsor local teams or go and I don't know, hand out flyers in town or find ways to drive demand up rather than spending time on administrative tasks that do not add any value. And yes, you, you might pay a little bit more in processing fees, but it's, it's, it's totally, totally worth it. You know, there'll often be a, a, you know, a moment we talk about, Oh, how full are you? And they'll say, Oh no, we're completely full. It's great. A lot of operators, uh, will optimize their price, will, will, will price their units and their, you know, their facilities based on trying to optimize occupancy at, as full as possible. Really, you should be optimizing your price. Should be set to optimize for the maximum revenue for your facility, and that actually requires optimizing for your rate per square foot and occupancy—the two things at once. Mm-hmm. So, um, I would always try and encourage operators to who are you know are full put your prices up. <laughs> um, but that doesn't work for everybody. It's it's not just everyone put their prices up. But if you're full, let's say you're full and you're getting ten pound a square foot. What if you charge fifteen pounds a square foot? You might also still be full. If if you've never put your price up, you'll never know. Whenever I opened up my first facility, I was I set my prices at fourteen pounds a square foot because I was really nervous. Will anyone actually book? Like what if this goes wrong? So all my prices were on average fourteen pounds a square foot, and then a few months in, I realized well, you know, it isn't just about bookings, and I was getting bookings, so I thought right, well, I'll, I'll take a risk and I put the prices up and up and up, and uh, now it's at about twenty-two pounds a square foot, and in fact, it was it's been there for maybe. A year about about that rate mm-hmm. I've had to bring it down a little bit because of the demand going down but um you know if, if I wasn't playing around with the prices and testing out where what is the right price here then you know, my, my sales would be 35% lower my profit would be half what it is you know so it's really important to look at that I'm not sure why I got onto that topic by the way but uh, I kind of got <laughs> no, your question I, I,
0: what your I, point was but uh, no, I think it's really good we, a lot of what we, we found is a lot of container people they'll fall back into the um, just the round numbers Twenty quid twenty quid for a twenty-foot oh, yeah. week or yeah, yeah. thirty quid or hundred quid, quid a month for a twenty-foot stuff. Uh-huh. No real thought behind what you've just said.
1: And that reminds me, this is why I brought it up. <laughs> Sorry, just to cut-in. That that's why if if you're optim- if you're automating your your payment processing, yeah. your customer has given you the permission to charge them on a monthly basis for their for the service you're providing them. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you're like if you've got a Sky subscription or Netflix subscription or Spotify or any of those sort of things, those companies have the same thing from you and they'll contact you every year or two and say, oh, our price has gone up from £12 to £14 yeah. and you don't have to do anything to make the change and it's exactly the same in self-storage. So if you've got somebody in at £10 a square foot and you, you're thinking, okay, I need to test pricing because that's actually far too low. Mm-hmm. If you're on an automated direct debit, you just, you just inform them, give them 30 days notice and say, okay, your price has gone from £100 to £120. The customer doesn't have to do anything different and that's the value of automation. It's one of the big values about it is that it gives you the control over your pricing strategy. I'm increasingly thinking it's one of the most important aspects of running a self-storage business successfully. The difference between doing it well and doing it badly is getting £10 a square foot versus £20 a square foot is 50 grand of profit versus 200 grand of profit Mm -hmm. Uh, and for exactly the same size of of site. Making your life as easy as you can and not thinking about it as, oh, I don't want to have to sack my, that member of staff who's been here for 10 years. It's not about that. It's about freeing that person up or yourself up to do more stuff, to go and open up a new site yeah. grow the business more get more containers off, buy more off Cleveland uh, get more containers <laughs> double stack whatever it is but you know it's just about you know you, you can free up your time and, and build a better business
0: yeah yeah definitely no, that sounds really really good hopefully you, they've got to use it in their own businesses and gives them the uh, the spur to, to start their own I think that'll uh, do it for part one Gavin I think we've uh, spoke about some good stuff there I think we'll come back in a bit and uh, get into more detail on, on, on what what actually is store and some quick wins and some do's and don'ts that you found over the years Cool. Sounds good. Awesome. Thanks. Nice one. Chatterbox was brought to you by Cleveland Containers, the UK's leading supplier of new and new shipping containers and the largest supplier to the container self-storage market. If you're looking to enter the self-storage industry or streamline and expand your current site, talk to us about Box Plus, our one-stop service that can provide you with everything you need to set up and run a simple, remotely operated and profitable self-storage business. For more information, head to clevelandcontainers.co.uk and follow us on social media for more content on all things shipping containers and self-storage.